0: Episode 759. We're still waiting to see if Jordy Nelson will be available for Sunday's NFC Championship game, and the anticipation is killing us. Thankfully, we've got Nathan Yonke of profootballfocus.com to fill the void. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Good morning, Green Bay Packers fans, and welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Carvu and we're getting ready for the upcoming NFC Championship game against the Atlanta Falcons. To do that, we've got a guest joining us on the phone today. Baltar, find me another expert, one that likes me this time. Okay? We've got Nathan Yankee of ProFootballFocus.com joining us on the line. Nathan, how you doing? Good morning, Brian. I'm doing well. How about you? Very good. We're glad you could join us as you do every week during the season on the show. Nathan, lots to talk about the past divisional game matchup between the Packers and the Cowboys. I know Pro Football Focus tracks which areas of the field quarterbacks throw to. Can you tell us more specifically about the success Aaron Rodgers had when throwing deep against the Cowboys? Uh, Sure. Against Dallas, Rodgers both attempted
1: more deep passes than he usually does, and then he completed them at a higher rate than he typically does. Um, At Pro Football Focus, we define deep passes as any pass that's in the air for 20 yards or more, so it's based on the air yards. And Rodgers, over the course of the season, he would average about five of those per game, which is pretty high for a quarterback, but against the Cowboys, he attempted 12 of those passes. So a lot more than usual. And then during the regular season, he completed just under 30% of those deep passes, which is uh, right around league average, maybe a little above, but against the Cowboys, he was able to complete half of those deep passes. So definitely made a huge difference in this game, Uh, led to 179 of his passing yards, one of his touchdowns. So He definitely had a lot of success throwing deep in this one.
0: Uh, Obviously a big part of his recipe for success against the Cowboys. Nathan, obviously Jared cook had a big game, but when the Packers signed him, one of the big criticisms was his drops. Can you compare his drops this season in a Packers uniform to what he did earlier in his career? Sure. I'm on
1: the year cook has dropped three passes, including the playoffs. So when you compare that to how many catches he's made compared to how many drops he's had, he's just slightly below league average for tight ends in terms of drops this year. But that is a big improvement to where he had been these past few years. Uh, last year, he had 10 drops, and that's uh, far more was by far the most for tight ends, and only had 24 catches. So on a, a per-play basis, he was the worst at dropping passes for tight ends last year. Among the bottom five in 2013, a bit below average in 2012 and 2014. So even just being slightly below average this year is still much better than where he had been the previous four seasons.
0: Yeah, that was one of my biggest worries about Jared Cook. And it's been very little worry this season. Uh, You can live with that amount of drop passes, I think, from a tight end. Uh, Nathan, I saw Ty Montgomery leads the NFL in yards after contact. Can you tell us a little more about that statistic and how that compares to other running backs?
1: Sure. First, about the statistic, uh, we keep track of whenever a running back was first contacted so we can break his yards down into yards before contact and yards after contact. Um, In general, uh, yards before contact has a little bit more to do with the run blocking, yards after contact more to do with the runner. Um, That won't hold true on every single play, but if you're doing any sort of predictive analysis or something like that, uh, that's helpful for the breakdown. And Montgomery was able to lead the league in yards after contact uh, per play, mostly due to uh, his ability to make the most out of some bad situations. uh, Plays where he was contacted within one yard of the line of scrimmage or even in the backfield, he was still able to make a number of big plays. Uh, Typically, when a running back's contacted, They're only averaging 1.6 yards per carry on those plays where Montgomery was able to average 4.4 yards per carry in those situations, which was by far the best in the league. So he was able to do it by making the most of some uh, bad situations.
0: Good to see out of time Montgomery, Nathan, like many Packers fans, I held my breath when David Bakhtiari came out of the game this past Sunday in Dallas. Can you compare his performance to what Jason Spriggs offered? I know we're talking small sample size here. Yeah, against
1: Dallas, uh, they both had zero sacks, zero hits, and one hurry allowed, except Spriggs did that on three pass blocks, while David did it on 45 pass blocks, so um, David definitely had the better game of the two. Um, I obviously wouldn't expect Spriggs to allow pressure one in every three plays if he was playing the rest of the game, but... Uh, David had one of the best pass-blocking seasons for a left tackle that we've seen in the past decade, where Spriggs, wherever he's lined up, he's been slightly below average in pass protection. So um, had Spriggs needed to play more, it would have been a noticeable difference.
0: Yeah, we saw him a little bit as an extra tight end a handful of times, too, in Dallas. Uh, we're talking to Nathan Yankee of profootballfocus.com. Here at Railbird Central on a Wednesday morning, Nathan, I saw Micah Hyde gave up four receptions for 50 yards, which doesn't seem all that impressive for a cornerback, but can you go into the reasons Hyde was basically able to overcome giving up those receptions? Uh, yeah, in this game he had a
1: lot of good plays, a lot of bad plays, and those basically he had about the same number of each. Where a cornerback you typically expect more bad than good, so um, that's why he ended up with a good grade in this game. On the downside, he did allow those four catches, um, all of them ranging from 11 to 14 yards allowed. Also had a missed tackling there and wasn't the best in the run game. Uh, some of the Dallas's bigger blockers got the best out of him there. But on the bright side, he had that sweet interception, um, a sack in there as well. Um, Those were his two huge plays, but then also had a pass breakup, uh, two pressures uh, where the running back was able to pick him up in the pass game, but he was able to still get the best of the running back to get pressure on the quarterback. So um, it's not often a cornerback is your most effective pass rusher in a game, but he was able to do that in this one and then have that game-changing interception, so um it added up to a good game out of him despite some of those poor plays.
0: Yeah, that interception is about as impressive as it comes for a slot cornerback, I think. Um, Nathan, outside of Hyde, I thought both Ladarius Gunter and Demarius Randall each struggled at at least at times against the Cowboys. Was one any worse than the other?
1: Uh yeah, unfortunately we have to go through this question again after another <laughs> week, but well last uh, week this... it was which one played better at least, so The previous week. (laughs) Mm. Um, But this time it was uh, Gunter who had the worst of the two. Um, He did have a pass breakup, which Randall didn't have, but Gunter allowed more yards. Uh, Two of them were touchdowns. One of them was pretty embarrassing. And then he also had two defensive pass interference calls on him and a missed tackle. So it was just a constant poor play throughout, even though he had a good play, to at least help redeem him a little bit. Where Randall... He was beat a number of times, but it wasn't quite as often, and it was never as badly as Gunter was beat. So I would say Gunter had the worst game of the two.
0: Yeah, unfortunate for both of them this game, giving up a little bit. Hopefully they improve against the Falcons. Um, Nathan, I thought a couple players in the front seven struggled, like Clay Matthews, Julius Peppers, and Dayton Jones. Did they play that bad, or do you think that was more a product of going up against a good Cowboys offensive line?
1: I think it was partially going up against a good Cowboys offensive line, and I think it was a little more they were uh, not that noticeable rather than having a bad game. Um, I think all of them ranged average to below average. Jones, he had one hurry in the game, uh, forced a cut in the run game, and there was nothing really bad in there. So um, he ended up with an average grade, since that's about as many good plays as you expect over the snaps he had. Uh, if you're not having any bad plays Uh, peppers had a pressure um, a few nice rushes where it was a quick pass so it was kind of for nothing but it still looked a little impressive a decent play against the run for peppers as well so you would probably like to see a little more pass rush out of peppers there but he was all right and clay matthews had two pressures had a hit and a hurry in there but uh wasn't as good in the run game was blocked a couple of times. So I would say he was below average. So um, none of them were consistently getting beat in the run game, which you sometimes see for a player in the front seven, which would lead to them having a really bad grade,
0: but none of them got quite as much pressure as you would have liked to see. Yeah. Hopefully the pass rush improves. Against Atlanta as well, Uh, Nathan, finally, as usual, can you help us break down who the Packers need to look out for against Atlanta and how this team might be different from the first time the Packers faced them earlier this season? Uh, The Falcons'
1: offense from top to bottom is very good. Uh, They have a great offensive line. Matt Ryan, I would say, is probably the favorite to win MVP at the moment. Um, Biggest differences for them is they were without Tevin Coleman the first matchup, and he's averaged at least five yards per carry each of the last three games so that's a step up for them on offense. Uh, Their biggest weakness all season was right guard Chris Chester but over the past four games he's really picked things up as well so uh, that offense really doesn't have a weakness at this point. Um, On defense they no longer have Desmond Trufant who was usually a top-tier cornerback but Jordy Nelson did a fine job against him in the first matchup and their secondary has done a good job making up for it. So um, I don't think they'll miss him too much in this game compared to the first matchup. Um, The big difference I would say is the Falcons' biggest defense is their front seven. And in that first matchup, that was during the Don Jackson-Nile Davis experiment. So um, this time they have Ty Montgomery, so the Packers should do a better job running the ball significantly compared to last time. So if there's one thing to... I'll look forward to that's different. I would say the Packers now have time Montgomery, so they should do a better job running. But uh, everyone thinks this is going to be a high-scoring game, and I definitely agree with that.
0: That's the way it's shaping up. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the game, and once again, we'll break it down next week, all right? Uh, thank you. Have a good one. You too. Nathan Yonke of profootballfocus.com. Joining us here at Railbird Central on a Wednesday morning. Glad to have him joining us. Glad to have you, the listener, join us as we continue on with the show. What the hell's going on out here? Well, I'll tell you, Vince, our new Packers News of the Day segment. According to Rob Domovsky of ESPN.com, he reports Jordy Nelson is a long shot to play on Sunday. That did come from an anonymous source, so perhaps you take that with a grain of salt, but understand that no one has ruled Nelson out for the NFC Championship game either. Mike, Head coach Mike McCarthy said Nelson did all the work in the regeneration workout on Monday, adding that that was a good sign. So there's that, and that's basically all we have to go on right now Um, we, we sit here and hope that Jordy Nelson will play. Uh, if if I had to sit here and guess and predict whether he would, I would say basically the Packers would probably err on the side of caution and keep Jordy Nelson out one more week and... Uh, and just basically hope that they can do the same thing that they did against Dallas, in which the offense was very good. It it, it didn't look like it missed a beat without Nelson in the lineup, and they were able to put up 34 po- points on the Dallas Cowboys. And you know what? It's it's a similar situation this week in that they're facing a good team on the road in a domed environment. So I think the Packers are going to hope they could just have the same type of performance, the same type of production without Nelson out there, and have him ready for the Super Bowl. Um, that's that's the hope. Um, I think if you're the Green Bay Packers, now I I can't sit here and guarantee you that's what's going to happen. As as they said, they they're not they're not ruling Nelson out, and and you know probably a lot of players would not be able to play just two works, two weeks from sustaining two broken ribs, uh, as he did against the New York Giants in the wild card round. But, um, you know, Jordy Nelson, for one, just aside from the injury, you know, if this were to happen to a, uh, a rookie like Geronimo Allison, you know, maybe they would keep him out simply because he couldn't afford to miss a week of practice. Well, in terms of a preparation standpoint, Jordy Nelson has been around for so long now and he's has such a rapport with Aaron Rodgers already that the preparation is a little bit secondary at this point. He doesn't necessarily need to practice to play. So there, he's got that going for him at least. He, you could have him step out there on Sunday and basically have him be ready to go. I mean, assuming he's at least, you know, taking part in meetings and and knowing the game plan and things like that, I think he can handle it. So there's – that's what we're – that's what you're – if you're hoping Jordy Nelson's going to play on Sunday, that's what you're clinging to right now is he's ready mentally more than more than most players, so – There's one more piece of news. Uh, The Green Bay Packers made a personnel move on Tuesday. It was a practice squad move, but this is the podcast for the hardcore fan interested in that kind of thing. Um, It came as a bit of a surprise in that the Packers had to release a player to make room for another They released cornerback Keith Baxter, who's been with the team since late October. So seeing as he'd been with the team for more than two months, that's a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, sometimes teams realize they made a mistake signing a guy to a practice squad and then they release him in just a week or two, but that wasn't the case here. Um, you know, with Baxter around for basically two and a half months, maybe there's more than meet the meets the eye. I I don't want to speculate on what that could possibly be, but perhaps there's a reason here that they made a move. Uh, but maybe then again, maybe they just want to get a guy with experience. So the player that they signed is Benny, uh, Benny, Ben, Ben Wickery is I believe how you pronounce the ta- the name, um, he was a mid-round draft choice of the Carolina Panthers in 2014 and was at one point a starter for them. A- after they released him, he spent a cup of tea with the Miami Dolphins earlier this season, although he never played in the game for them. His signing might leave a bad taste in some people's mouths because the last game Ben Wickery played for the Panthers was that game in which they gave up 300 yards to Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons, which, of course, is who the Packers play this weekend. Now, you wonder if the Packers might need an extra cornerback with Quinton Rollins and his concussion and Herb Waters being so inexperienced. But I don't imagine they would activate Ben Wickery on such short notice. Maybe he could help them in the Super Bowl possibly, but that's mere speculation at this point. Uh, I look at it like this. I was actually a fan of Ben Wickery coming out of San Jose State uh, in college when uh, he entered the NFL draft in 2014. And I know one of our frequent guests on the show here did and and commented on him several times on this show as well, uh, talking about Scott McKenna of the Talkin' Smack blog. Um, But we were both high on Ben Wickery, uh, perhaps Scott more than myself, but uh, still thinking he was a good mid-round draft choice. And I, I think he's basically you know you you can see that you know there's a reason he wasn't a high round draft choice that he didn't go on the the first or second day of the draft but i i think there is a little bit to like here he's got the requisite size and he's you know he's he's veter he's a veteran uh this is his third year in the NFL and even though he gave up a big day to Julio Jones uh he still has been around the block before um, with the Carolina Panthers and has played in several games, and I think that's better than a player like Herb Waters. If if push came to shove, I don't think the Packers want to have to rely on him on defense. I mean, you could have Herb Waters, you know, go cover kicks or things like that, which they have been doing on special teams, but you don't want to putting a guy who's never played an NFL snap on defense have it be on such a huge stage uh, because one big mistake could, you know, basically crush him mentally or something like that. You don't want that for a young guy who's making a transition to a, to, to a new position. So I think that's why partially why they signed Ben Wickery and uh, hopefully he uh, uh, has a bright future. Hopefully the Packers sign him to a futures contract after the season is done And we'll see what he brings to the table in 2017. And we'll see what happens to him as as long as the Packers are alive in the playoffs here. One final thought here, and this is not really news but more of an opinion, uh, but uh, I didn't really have any other place to bring this up. The Packers don't need Kristen Michael on kick returns. It's fine to use him as a running back occasionally. In fact, I was surprised he didn't have a single carry in Dallas. He probably should touch the ball a handful of times, seeing as how well he's done since signing with the Green Bay Packers and the spark he can provide and the pressure he can take off Ty Montgomery and Aaron Ripkowski, but not as a kick returner. You saw in Dallas how he misjudged the ball when the Packers put him back there that one time. He temporarily muffed it before gaining possession and then just got out to something I think it was the 6-yard line. The Packers don't need that, especially when they've already got Jeff Janis and Ty Montgomery back there at returning kicks. Just let them handle it. In fact, if I were the Packers, I'd let Janis handle them exclusively. Uh, Let Ty Montgomery focus on running back, but maybe I'm splitting hairs. The point is, they don't need Michael back there returning kicks. Let him focus on running back for now, unless it's absolutely an emergency situation where there's a few injuries and he's got to go back there or something. Even then, I'm not sure they need that. They can have Micah Hyde back there, other guys who have returned kicks in the past. Randall Cobb. Uh, j- just let Kristen Michael focus on running back. He's new to Green Bay. He was signed only a little over a month ago. Uh, he he needs all of the time he can get at, at the running back position and and staying in those meetings without having to worry about special teams. Uh, so yeah, I just thought that was a, a thought that I should express and and using this platform to do it here. But next segment, the day ahead. All right. So head coach, Mike McCarthy in his, the day after the divisional round, uh, playoff game against the Cowboys. So going back to Monday here, he, in his press conference said he was not concerned about safety, Morgan Burnett, missing the NFC championship, but added, he would need to see how he performed on Wednesday. So that's what we're waiting for today as the team hits the practice field for the first time this week, followed by the release of the first injury report this season. Burnett is the biggest name to watch, but we'll also be waiting to see if Quentin Rollins comes out of the concussion protocol as well. I thought Kentrell Bryce did a nice job filling in for Burnett in Dallas. But obviously you'd rather see the veteran out there, all things being equal. Uh, Kentrell Bryce could fill in in a pinch and, and he'll play his his dime package role re- regardless pretty much um, uh, on Sunday, whether Burnett's out there or not. Uh, you just want to see Burnett basically out there 100% of the time, 100% of the defensive snaps uh, for, for as long as the game is in question at least. Um but uh, apart from that with the Packers in the NFC Championship game, they're holding a special press conference on Wednesday and I got the press release for the from the NFL here. Typically, you know, their press conferences are streamed online at packers.com and this one will be as well. But this is also going to be televised nationwide on the NFL Network at one thirty p.m. today. And it won't be just Mike McCarthy. In addition to the head coach, he'll speak as well. The Packers will have three players speak from the podium on Wednesday instead of their typical locker room availability. The three players are three of the most veteran players on the team, those being quarterback Aaron Rodgers, linebacker Julius Peppers and offensive lineman TJ Lang. So they're all going to get a little bit of FaceTime on national TV today. And then following the press conferences, the team will practice at three o'clock PM central time. And then the media will have their typical locker room availability with the rest of the players at four thirty PM. <clears throat> so there you go. Um, Um, And and finally here uh, on the talk show circuit, I see Mason Crosby is appearing on the Bill Michaels show on Wednesday. That's the syndicated radio show on several radio stations across the state of Wisconsin. Former Packers wide receiver Donald Driver will be a guest, too, for that matter. Uh, But the only one currently on the Packers roster joining the show is Mason Crosby. So you can look forward to that you'd have to look up your local times and stations to see when that airs on Wednesday. Uh but that's uh what's going on in the world of the Green Bay Packers over the next 24 hours or so. And that'll pretty much do it for today's episode of Railbird Central. Thank you everybody so much folks for joining us today. You may have noticed a few things different about today's episode, a different introduction, some different sound bites. And now a new call to action. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you may have heard that I told you probably if several weeks, a few months ago, I'm looking to become the owner of a new tavern in Madison, Wisconsin. And so we're looking to promote the bar. Uh, I'm asking everyone that follows this show, if you have the means Please give us a like on Facebook. I've already shared the link on live stream, but I'll do the same on the show post at Cheesehead TV and I'll do it on Twitter as well. But those of you listening in, it's facebook.com slash B Madison. The name of the bar is going to be called B Uh That's B I E R O C K. Uh, so, facebook.com slash B Madison. Uh, Please give us a follow. We're still a couple months away from opening, but we're trying to build a following. And we're about to release some behind-the-scenes information about opening a tavern. We'll be revealing our logo, so lots of cool stuff to share. And uh, I'm excited to share it and want to get the message out and want to be able to reach people. So we've got almost no followers right now and kind of promoting this for the very first time. Uh, give us a like on Facebook and, and just follow the links. I'll provide as many as I can uh, that you just have to click, like, and that's it for now. Thank you so much, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks to Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com for being our guest. Already got our next guest lined up. Uh, we've got Pigskin Paul Guillemette, our annual guest. Uh, on the show, uh, who uh, is filing reports from the site of the East-West Shrine game this week down in Florida, followed by uh, next week, he'll be at the Senior Bowl. So we'll kind of be looking forward to the future of the Green Bay Packers over the next few episodes. But don't worry, uh, after we talk about the future, we'll talk about the present and the NFC championship game as well. So looking forward to that. This is like a f- five years running now that we've had pigskin Paul Guillemette on the show. It's a really great interview and uh, a behind-the-scenes look at what happens on the scouting circuit as the Packers starting already to get ready for the NFL draft. Looking forward to it. We'll see you then, folks. Uh Have a good Wednesday, and we'll talk to you on Friday. On behalf of everybody at Cheesehead TV, I'm Brian Kerr. I leave you today with a song called Bolly Munster by the String Cheese Incident on Psy Fidelity Records. See ya. Go Pack Go.